Hello, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tebetai. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. Just the three of us today. It's Monday afternoon. The Warriors are literally having their championship parade as we speak. Alex, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. You know, summer vacation has started, and despite not winning the title, I feel pretty good about where the Celtics season ended up. So, um, can't complain. More work to be done, but when is there ever? Not That's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. Dr. Quinn, how are you? We won't talk about my moving situation moving forward. Uh, besides that, good. Cool. Uh, yeah. All things considered, watching Clay Thompson enjoy the parade is is a net positive in my life, uh, even if it stings a little bit. Uh, the agenda for today, listeners, first we're going to kind of recap how we feel about the finals in the season now a few days out. We are going to talk a little bit about maybe what we learned in the process. And then in the second and third portion of the programming, we're going to talk about the coming off-season stuff. This will be the preview to the preview uh, for the off season for us. So we will have a much more in-depth look at free agency and all that jazz to come, but we'll give some of our initial thoughts and expectations. We'll talk about the draft a little bit, do some news and the second and third kind of thirds of the program. So that's where we're going today. So as promised, let's, let's talk about our feelings. It's been uh, four days since Celtics didn't quite pull out a win and the dust has reasonably settled, although again, depending on what happens in the free in free agency, maybe maybe not. I'll go to you, Doctor Quinn, first. How are you feeling about this Celtic season that was overwhelmingly positive? I, it's really hard for me. Like I know it stings being that close to Benner eighteen and that that getting the job done, uh, as has been expressed ad infinitum by many people, including myself. This is something that tends to happen when young stars on the rise tend to, you know, hit the limits of their abilities and need to start finding ways to make other players better around them, not just in the regular season, but at the highest levels of play, like, you know, Tatum and Brown found ways to do that in the regular season. Now they need to find ways to do it at an even higher level of competition where they were very, very clearly flummoxed. And I have very much confidence they're going to achieve that. Alex, how are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good, all things being equal. I was definitely bummed out. Um, You know, obviously Kim and I, for the listeners who don't know, both went to game six to watch the Celtics uh, finally put an end to their season. I do think that the Celtics probably did about as much as they could this year, given the kind of limitations of their roster, the fact that they have a rookie head coach and just the general kind of flux around the team from this offseason. Could they have won the title if a couple of things bounced differently? Probably. This is ultimately how these things go a lot of the time. But I mean, I'm not going to sit here and grouse about a team that ultimately wildly outperformed the expectations I had for them heading into the offseason. They made the finer finals. Jalen Brown is 25. Jason Tatum is 24. Ime Odoka's first year. As long as you keep those three guys as part of the long-term core, I'm going to be feeling pretty good. So I'm feeling thankful and a little confused. So I'm feeling thankful first. Uh, that we got to watch a Celtics season. Uh, we don't really hang conference championship banners in Boston, but you know the Celtics haven't been to the finals in a decade, so that felt pretty good. I'm really pretty thankful about that. I'm feeling thankful for this podcast. Uh, I mean, we were the beneficiaries of that trickle down content economy that the um, 
that the Celtics, you know, won the day or whatnot. Um, and I'm thankful for all the listeners and fans and uh, our sponsors like betonline.ag. Uh, then I'm feeling confused because Alex, to your point, I don't think we could have ever, I don't think anyone had Warriors beating the Celtics in the finals, even in like March or April. Um, so the whole uh, NBA hot take economy, again, of which we are sort of a part, feels like a foolish errand. And it feels like a lot of <laughs> angrily moaning into the abyss for 10 months. And then we watch basketball for <laughs> two of those months. So uh, I feel hilariously confused about how important anything related to NBA media is, but we can unpack that later. Anyways, thanks for the fans and the listeners for listening to our unimportant podcast, I guess is my, <laughs> my thesis. So before we look ahead, let's put a bow on, I guess the finals in the postseason. I'm going to use something that I use with my students sometimes. Give me your high point, your low point, your high, your low, and your Buffalo. Something completely random. So I couldn't go first to help people stall and to set an example of my high, low, and Buffalo. My high point was uh, seeing Jason Tatum hit, not his ceiling, but come close to it. Because Jason Tatum, when he is playing well, is really dang good. And the kind of player that you want to root for, not because he's really dang good at one thing, but because in the mold of a LeBron James or a Magic Johnson, not on that level at all, but as a really tall, strong man who could be the focal point of an offense, Jason Tatum is getting there. And that was a really high point to observe for me. My low point that I would share is, uh, and this one's going to really sting, uh, the Celtics didn't get it done for Al Horford. And that that is the thing that makes me most bummed, which isn't to say that Al Horford couldn't win a, wing, a ring as an NBA player, uh, but uh, dang, you know. Uh, my random observation is that the Celtics have really awful jerseys. I like the whites that they play in at home. I'm neutral in the classic greens. I can't think of an alternate jersey that the Celtics have worn maybe ever that has interested me. And I happen to like some of the Warriors jerseys, but certainly some of the other jerseys, the Celtics quote unquote won up against in the postseason. So a very random Buffalo for my high low Buffalo is that the Celtics do not have alternate kits that interest me at all. Okay. So that's my high low Buffalo. Uh, Dr. Quinn, you go first. You're high, you're low and you're Buffalo for the, the postseason and finals. So the high point wasn't really a point so much as making the finals. I, I don't see how you can get to such a lofty stage in the NBA calendar and not have that be the high point of the season. Literally, uh, the low point is exactly the opposite end of the season for me, a double overtime loss to the New York Knicks to start the season. That's when I knew it was going to be at very best a bumpy ride, though obviously I did not think anything of this being a thing uh, at that point in time. And then for the random observation, uh, you know, Al Horford is known for flinching, right? That's his thing. That's like a, an inside joke kind of a thing that people who have followed his career have become aware of. But there's another facial uh, expression that I think was something that we need to be watching for in the future and it involves for those at home it's the little it's the little the little yes head nod that he does when he's really excuse my french fucking mad need to see more of that no no i know i don't want you to be mad al but if it makes you do what you did that day more of that please 
Yeah, zesty Al Horford. All right, Alex, your high, your low, and your Buffalo. I think my high was kind of the same as JQ's, but from a slightly different angle, uh, vanquishing the Brooklyn Nets, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Miami Heat in short order, the three teams that knocked the Celtics out in previous playoff runs with this core, just expunging the ghosts of seasons past and coming to the realization when the buzzer sounded in game seven against Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals that this core can do it. Like, regardless of how we approach this offseason, regardless of what, you know, tinkering needs to be done on the margins, it is now very clear to me that the Jalen Jason experiment is working, should not be broken up, and hopefully will not be broken up uh, anytime for the foreseeable future, because the Celtics have a title-ready core. Now they need to be aggressive and make moves to actually get there. Um, and that was, I don't know, that was just a really, like, that that was a really nice thing to have after four or five years of questions about whether this could work, to see that it actually can was, was pretty special. Um, my low point was having to watch uh, a certain lead-footed former backup center uh, at any point during the season. Uh, it's just always a miserable experience to watch that guy play. Um, I'm so glad that he's out of the NBA and hopefully never comes back. Uh, he's I, I, I'm gonna. This is gonna be the last time I'm gonna do this, folks. Just bear with me. Um, it's a uniquely unpleasant experience to watch a team that is putting some things like making a nice run together have to then put in a player who is known exclusively now for stirring up controversy on right wing Twitter. Um, God, God bless. Not really. See you later. And his freedom. I'm so glad that you are not in the NBA anymore. Um, my Buffalo is that if there's one move that Celtics absolutely have to consider heading into this off season, uh, one guy that they just need to make all out effort to keep uh, in free agency or whatever, they got to have Malik Fitz on this team next year because Malik Fitz is pound for pound the best bench celebration guy in the NBA. I just love watching that dude cook. So keep Malik Fitz. That's the Buffalo. And you could have paid me a million dollars. I never would have guessed those were the three things you were going to say. Okay. Let's do a takeaway from this experience overall, regular season and or playoffs. I'll set an example again. Um, and I'm actually going to cheat. I'm going to give two examples or two takeaways rather. Um, but I'm going to keep them brief as I encourage you to do the same thing to take away. Number one, for anyone who plays basketball, turnovers matter. It is not inconsequential to not take care of the ball. And it's especially not inconsequential to lose the ball and then not do something about it. So at any level of basketball you might play or coach or observe, uh, don't sweat the turnovers. And then my second takeover, which again, I'm kind of cheating because I'm giving two, what a vindication for defense. This is an offense first league, blah, 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 blah. The two, two of the best defenses duked it out. And the final scores of the games were like 97 to 103. This was a huge moment for defense. And it wasn't that they were bad offenses. It was that they were spectacular defenses. And I know that that's not particularly sexy. And Kirk Goldsberry is not going to write a book about it necessarily. But damn, that was amazing. So uh, huge shout out and vindication for holding onto the ball and defense, which I know is, you know, the, the opposite ends of the spectrum. Okay. Dr. Quinn, your takeaways from the season. Uh, 
I'm just going to do one building off of your ending there. Sure. And it's just to make sure that all the people who you think are reasonably going to see the floor at any point in the season do not suck. Build a team out of guys who are competent defenders and hopefully more, right? No bad, targetable guys. Longer guys, taller guys, no bad players. Let's keep going with that. Yeah, I was about to say, I yeah. to editorialize, I don't think you're putting anyone on blast passive aggressively. I think you're putting people in previous seasons on blast rather aggressively. <laughs> okay, Alex, take away from the 21-22 campaign. Well, since you cheated and set the model, I'm going to do two as well. Um, yeah, that's fine. The first is that a culture of accountability matters when it comes to playing winning basketball. Um, Ime Udoka came in and really set the tone from day one that these guys need to hold each other and themselves accountable for what they do on the court. Uh, there was a period in this season where it became eminently clear that that was not happening. Marcus Smart stepped up, Jalen Brown stepped up, Jason Tatum stepped up, Al Horford stepped up, all of these guys put it together and realized that if they want to go where they can go and where they should be going, they need to kind of take care of themselves and to make sure that they are holding themselves and each other accountable. Um, I thought that the Udoka hire was a smash from day one, um, and he has done nothing to disappoint me in that regard. And I'm really happy to see the long-term cultural infrastructure of the Celtics uh, being built this season and going forward. And the second, which is kind of tricky and sometimes without this culture is a little dangerous, is if you want to win the NBA title, you kind of got to open the checkbook up. Um, mm -hmm. The Celtics push the limits of their roster with a team that is under the tax, but the Golden State Warriors won, and they won in part because they are one of the most expensive teams in basketball. They are, to your point, Justin, loaded one through nine with high quality NBA level players at every position. And that ultimately is what made the difference. At the end of the day, the Celtics had about seven or eight guys that could play at their position, like on an NBA level, Generous. the Warriors had mm -hmm. nine or 10. And some of those guys were pretty expensive, but at the end of the day, uh, scared money don't make none as Sam Presti would say. Uh, Wick, time to open it up. Let's do this. That's a conversation for another day. Apropos of nothing else, just sell the team in 10 years. You'll make all your money back, but whatever, it's all my money. Uh, Alex, I like where your head's at. It's a good segue to talk about the future and the offseason. So let us say goodbye and thank you to the 21-22 Celtics. We hardly knew you. We're on to the 22-23 Celtics. But first, let's talk about our friends at betonline.ag, your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Over at betonline.ag, you can find the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Stanley Cup Finals, Major League Baseball, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. You can head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use our promo code CLNS50. BetOnline, where the game starts. And apologies uh it's allergy season baby i can't <laughs> i can't hide that so we have to talk about what happens next because the, the parade is happening in san francisco and when does the 
trades, when does the season legally end, Justin? Well, it depends on what you mean. As soon as a basketball team can no longer play games, they are free to trade players with any other team in the league who also is no longer going to be playing. Okay, so the next season already started. Basically, the league calendar, in other words, so if you remember, we traded uh, Kemba Walker very early in the, the offseason last season. Us, we were, us three did that, yeah. Yeah, totally, that. totally. <laughs> uh, sorry, I hate that people do that, doing it myself. Okay, the Celtics did that. Um, and they did it early with a very good reason involved because if you trade someone right now, then the salary for 2021, 22 counts. But I believe it's July 1st. I don't know if it's before the night of or at 3 p.m. or 5 p.m. or exactly what the time is off the top of my head. But as of July 1st, uh, wherever exactly the demarcating line is, then the next season salary is coming to play. And any particular rule changes, anything like that, that might be governing it would also come into play. Okay, tremendous. Uh, that actually comes, it's hugely important when we start to talk about TPEs and uh, cap sheets and whatnot. But before that, let me ask you, both, and I'll answer for myself also the following question. Independent of any roster changes that may or may not occur, and we don't, I don't think any of us really think that the Celtics roster is going to turn over all that much, save maybe one interesting addition. But what do you think, as a team, this existing crop of Celtics needs to emphasize during offseason workouts uh, as a team, with their individual trainers, whatever? What's the number one thing that this group of Celtics really needs to hone in on next season? Alex, you unmuted, you go first. Sure. Um, It's overall decision-making, I think. So the turnovers are the big thing that stood out from the NBA Finals and the Celtics playoff run in general. But turnovers are a consequence of decision-making in general. And there were times when the Celtics, I think, displayed a little bit of immaturity as to be expected of a young team. Mind you, this is not crazy for a team led by a 25- and 24-year-old. Um, there, there were times when they displayed a little bit of immaturity when it came to turnovers, shot selection, general process of their offense. And I think the kind of name of the game, and this is really something that they can't work on as much individually. They more so just have to work on as a team, which is why I think you're not going to see a great deal of turnover for the roster this coming year is team decision-making players knowing where they're going to be, where they need to be, what is expected of them, and then executing that vision as much as possible. So you kind of stole, as is your want, uh, the ideas that I had, but you also didn't because you looked at the other end of it. And really for me, what they need to be focusing on is shooting, finishing, ball handling. The areas where those turnovers, particularly live ball turnovers, have created so much trouble for the Celtics uh, I think there are some very obvious uh, cross-team areas where having more ball handlers, not biffing layups, uh, not taking bad three-pointers because the only person who's available and open is a 33% three-point shooter. Clear roles will come with that kind of improvement, but any improvement in those areas at all, and particularly in certain players who we can discuss shortly, uh, will definitely limit those turnovers all right so i'm going to preface what i'm going to say i know tatum's shoulder was cooked the celtics made such a big stink out of hitting the the uh workout room after every game and then they get to the finals they play golden state and they can't get past anyone 
down low. Every time they drove to the rim, they'd get a little bit of contact. <laughs> they would just collapse. They would either turn around and try to pass the ball to a ghost, or they would flail for a foul that didn't exist. I look, I'm not, Alex has played basketball with me. I'm not saying that they should call my number and then I should come in and fight among the trees. I just, I can't imagine hitting the gym so hard and then playing so soft and not the way the talk radio people talk about soft. I just mean like, shouldn't you be stronger? Shouldn't you finish through contact? Jason Tatum, I like strength. They have the strength. They just choose to avoid contact. Yeah. Uh, so whether it's hit the gym twice as hard or uh, the, the trainers who put the like foam crayons on their arm and hit them as they practice, whatever that's, that looks like finish a little stronger, please. Um, That's fair. I do think that we should give probably a little bit more credit to the Warriors as a defensive team though, because some of the stuff that they were doing in terms of like switching, protecting the paint, getting long arm defenders on the floor to just kind of muck up the rhythm of the game. Obviously like Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks are both great at that, but the Warriors can do that and then also punish you in a much more severe way on the offensive. And I I do think, I think you're right. I think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum need to be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to getting contact and uh, trying to score at the rim and go through guys rather than around guys. But at the same time, this Warriors team, I think a lot, both myself and many other people slept on just how good this Warriors squad actually is. They are a serious basketball team. And if the Celtics want to get to that level, then I think to your point, Ken, it's probably true. They do have to do a little bit more of that Warriors stuff when it comes to attacking the rim and owning the paint. Yeah, actually, I I disagree insofar as I didn't mean anything sexy. I mean, like literally just finish through contract contact. It doesn't need to be a scheme, um, but all the same. So let's continue to talk about existing Celtics or at least existing Celtics for the moment. Dr. Quinn, I'm going to have you talk us through the possible Grant Williams extension and Alex, just because I know that you and I have talked about it. I'm going to swing to you and talk about the latest with Jalen Brown's contract, which is far less pressing for anyone who's nervous hearing me bring that up. Uh, so Dr. Quinn, what's the latest Grant? Give us a number and uh, anything else we might need to know. I mean, that's really the question, right? Like, what is the number going to be? I was thinking it might be inching up closer to 20 million per per year uh, with the way he was playing earlier in the postseason. His utter disappearance in the finals, I think, did the Celtics a very big favor because it's showing that, you know, at the very least, the player he is now is a very useful player. And I think probably more in the range of what Robert Williams is making, like 10, 12 million, and probably he'll make a little bit more than that if he does sign an extension. I'm thinking 13, 14, 15 million, uh, but that's going to be a lot better than what he might end up making if he continues developing as well as he has. Now, as far as Jalen Brown goes, he can just make more money if he waits. He'll still be eligible for a Supermax. I mean, he, he's going to wait. This is, it's, this is, Unless he has an injury that he hasn't told everyone about that he knows his career ending, he's not going to sign an extension. Okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, I was looking at our preseason because um, Alex said no one, no one, we were all sleeping on the dubs. I had the dubs in the finals. Thank you very much. Oh, but check this yeah. out. I had bucks over dubs. And then, and then my conference finals, uh, the runners up were the Nets and the Lakers. So, Come see, come so. Okay, Alex, anything about the Jalen Brown extension that you wanted to say? 
Eh, not really. Justin kind of already said it, but Jalen is not going to extend this offseason. He's going to wait until he can get more money from uh, Celtics or whoever. The one thing that I think, you know, I'm at least mildly concerned about the possibility that Jalen might eventually want to become a number one option elsewhere, a true number one option. Um, but I think that this... The way I see things now, I'm, I'm not sure that there is a landscape for that. Maybe that will change heading into next year. I'm not sure there's a landscape for that that makes sense and allows him to also play at the level of basketball that he has preferred to play at. Um, I, I hope and pray that it will be a fairly uncontroversial. Jalen Brown does not accept the Celtics extension offer this offseason and instead extends with them for the max next offseason, which I think is eminently possible. I would agree. Ever since he signed with Kanye West, I have doubts about Jalen Brown making this the decisions that I would make. So um, let's, let's we will be, see. Let's be very clear about the the Kanye yeah. West thing. It's not a basketball representation contract. It's only off the court stuff. And I do have some reservations on that, but that's neither here nor there. Kanye West is not Jalen Brown's agent. Just to be clear. <laughs> So, yeah, sorry if I implied as such. I figured that that, that was an unreasonable conclusion. Um, it's a little here because if this is a Celtics podcast, but we could make it nor there for now. Okay. We will maybe talk about the draft depending on how long in the tooth we are about this next section. But we promise you that tomorrow we are recording a draft-focused podcast. So if you want our takes on the draft, they are forthcoming one way or the other. For now, what I want to do is I want to keep talking about contracts because Celtics have some very interesting tools at their disposal they don't have much or really any cap space quite frankly with the exception of exceptions which we will talk about um, but they have a number of traded player exceptions on the book some of which expires sooner rather than later so they they have that 17.1 million dollar evan fournier uh tpe which dr quinn do you remember off the top of your head when it expires very In, soon july yeah. 17th i think if i'm yeah. not mistaken uh, they have a $3.8 million one from the Romeo Langford trade, a $5.9 million one from the Dan Schroeder trade. The six point, So those two will expire uh, around the trade deadline in this coming season. Juanjo Herner Gomez, his TPE is $6.9 million. Oh, is that December? I'm, when was I that? Can't, I can't remember. It was near, it was, it was, it was separate from the rest, I believe, but I can't yeah. remember exactly. It was near the, it was, it was in the middle of the season. I can't remember exactly when. TPEs last a year, right? Uh, roughly. There has been some variance because of the pandemic, but generally, yeah, one of the year. Okay. So that Juancho one actually is sneaky important because that's a chunk of change. And then obviously the crown jewel of the TPEs is the uh, Evan Fournier one. There's actually 10 in total. So they might, choose to use that they would need to use it pretty soon and we can talk i suppose about cap gymnastics and what that actually looks like if they could take on a player and then trade it alex cough 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 but for now dr quinn i'll go to you first say the celtics want to use this tpe to take on a player who might they consider well first just a very brief reminder of what you cannot do with a tpe you cannot sure, combine please. these tpes together very important uh, you cannot. Uh, you can put multiple players who all fit within them. So it works one way. The best way to think about it is it is part of a non-simultaneous trade. So all the, the, the rules you would have if you had done it all at once would still apply, which is why you can't go beyond it. Um, 
Now, if we wanted to talk about the things that could be done with it, you can, and we talked about this off air, very quickly take in a player and then trade them alone for up to 120% plus 100,000 of their value. Uh, you can also just take the player in, uh, even if not like necessarily for something that your team needs. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to get an asset to go after some other player at the trade deadline or, or whenever. Uh, you can do it for an asset play. Uh, the Celtics could conceivably end up not necessarily going for a star with this. I mean, you're not going to find really a star for that rate anyway, unless they happen to be like on a rookie scale contract or maybe like a time right. kind of a situation. Short stories, that's not very likely. But they could conceivably take in a bad contract that's expiring it's going to be in the tax anyway next season and use that to get, you know, a second round pick or maybe even a first round pick in the, in the right situation of a completely useless player or whatever. Um, right. They're, they're, if they're very desperate, whatever the situation is. So for me, if I was going to target a player, it would be probably a little bit more competent front court depth that would be playable uh, in the postseason in a way that as much as we love Daniel Tyson, as much as he still has plenty of value as a regular season big man, uh, it's become very clear he is not a very good postseason player because there's only a very limited number of matchups that he's good in. So for me, I would like my ideal target would be someone like Laurie Markkanen who just makes it in. But that would be, you know, that would require probably like two first round picks, maybe even more than that to sweeten you know, Cleveland to, to go for something like that. And then if you're looking for something that's a little more realistic uh, in the same kind of a vein, like maybe Kelly Olenek in Detroit, he doesn't really line up with their age curve at 31 years old. And we know he can play in the playoffs because he's played with us in the playoffs. Yeah, I guess it's worth pointing out. So it, it feels like free money, but you do need to convince someone to make a trade with you because you can't use this for a free agent. So it's nice to say, oh, they should just add this person, but it's worth considering would it cost them a Pritchard or a Grant Williams or multiple first round picks. Either way, I, I think it's useful or perhaps important that they use it if they can. In some ways, the Evan Fournier TPE is really just an extension of the Gordon Hayward TPE. So they're still trying to recuperate value from letting Gordon Hayward walk, which would be cool. As we saw, technically speaking, the Celtics did pretty damn okay without it, but it'd be nice to add a player. Alex, I'll let you go. Cut the line. Go ahead of me. Who would you use the TPE on? Again, trade partners agreeing, notwithstanding. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so tough about this is the Celtics would have to, in almost all of these cases, offer something that would actually be of relative value to these teams. And typically with the Celtics uh, kind of roster construction being the way it is and all of the picks that they have, you have to you have to give up something good to get something good. We saw that with the Derek White trade, for example. So um, it's not super realistic unless other things happen that force these teams to make adjustments. And to that end, I have two guys that are in situations where if a team decides to make bigger moves to try and upgrade, um, they could be in line on the chopping block. And they both fit the player archetype that I'm looking for of wings with some size who can also play make and shoot um and so to that end i'm looking at alec burks for the new york knicks and i'm looking at kyle anderson of the memphis grizzlies um the new york knicks 
are in a strange place right now where it's not really clear to me whether they want to continue building around their young core or accelerate their rebuild and try and bring in some high-end talent. But either way, it doesn't strike me that Alec Burks makes a ton of sense with their current team. So I could see him shaking loose, and I think he would be a nice backup ball handler who could also play the wing and space the floor a little bit should Celtics look to that area. Uh, and then the Memphis Grizzlies, who are on the precipice of making the finals, but lost to the eventual champion Golden State Warriors, uh, they are no doubt also looking, I think, to accelerate their talent pool a little bit and build even more around John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Kyle Anderson is a good player for the Memphis Grizzlies, but considering that Brandon Clark is probably going to need more minutes for that team uh, and that they would in all certainty like to, I imagine, bring in a wing to kind of beef up that core in general, I could see him shaking loose. And I've always liked Kyle Anderson's game a lot. Uh, he's a guy that I would be pretty interested in as well. So I'll share, I have two names on my list. The first, I wrote about this on Celtics Fire. Go read about it. I, I think Justin is correct. I don't think anyone disagrees. The Celtics need a rotational big man in a bad way. Um, Derek, I mean, Daniel's nice, nice guy, it seems like, but it just... He didn't make the cut. Uh, so I think the Celtics need to go and get a true big man, whether or not it's more of a power forward or a center, I guess, teach their own. I'm, I'd be happy if it was just a center uh, who could actually log playing time. I am looking at Dirk Favors. Uh, I don't really know what the Thunder do anymore, uh, whether or not they seek to field a competitive basketball team or not. But Dirk Favors not only is a big man who can step out and shoot a little bit, he also is really good at holding onto the ball. He does not commit to turnovers. He's older. I don't know how much gas gas he has in the tank, but as a third big, you could do a lot worse than Derek Favors. Derek Favors, I've talked about him on this podcast before. That'd be great for me. I also think, um, I wrote about this also for Celtics Wire, but I've, I'm not trusting my own conviction here. I think the Celtics do need a point guard. Uh, maybe not a starting point guard, but someone who can come in and write the ship. Uh, I'm toying with very much so thinking they need a point guard at the expense of Marcus Smart, which is a conversation for another day. I, I truly just don't know yet what I think about it. I've been thinking about it a lot, but I do think a ball handler. I'm just being honest. It's, um, the, no, no. The I, bread's, I, I, bread's I, I, still I, in the oven. Not about it. Definitely. Maybe someone who doesn't have glass in their hand. Uh, so anyways, I think a second ball handler would be nice one way or the other. And now I'm going to contradict myself a little bit by saying I don't think that the Celtics should compromise their defense, that if they can get eight or nine guys that can play defense, adjusted to your point, there's no players that you can target on defense. That's perhaps more valuable than a ball handler. However, I do think that with one of the smaller TPEs, the Celtics could maybe go and get Cameron Payne, who is definitely a defensive liability, but I think certainly playing alongside Chris Paul could show the Celtics a thing or two about being a point guard. So those are the names that I came up with off the top of my head, a meeting an hour ago. Um, Not bad. But we will have, I'm sure, a whole free agency preview where we just unleash a laundry list of players who make less than $17 million. So let's also talk about other ways that the Celtics can add to the roster because it's not just TPEs or trades that they can add players, or I guess the draft, there is a, the 53rd pick out there, whatever it is. 
they can also sign people in free agency. They have vet minimums, which perhaps they'll get some ring chasers come around. I don't think we have talked about that yet, but maybe. And they also have the mid-level exception for the Celtics at 6.4 million. Justin, can I ask you to explain the different tiers of mid-level exceptions and why the Celtics have the mini one? Sure. So there is the big one, right? The big one, uh, it's around $10 million. It's for teams that are below the cap. There is the one that the Celtics can have, which is because they are below the tax, uh, but above the cap. That would be the 6.4 million one. I don't know how much the one is for the tax paying teams. It is less, uh, but that is the third category. And the idea is to gradually remove your ability to improve your team as you are spending money on your team and presumably have it committed to your team. So that's the rationale behind that. Sure. And $6.4 million is not insignificant. There, as we will see in a second, there's some good players that, uh, that would not be a discount. That would probably be their going rate. Uh, so the Celtics could very much so add a player in free agency, let alone a few if they want to use vet minimums too. So let's go through Alex. I'll go to you first because Justin went first last time. Considering, let's assume the Celtics are going to pay the tax. I don't know. We could do that later. But who might the Celtics sign using their limited, but uh, worth considering the the um, cap space that they have? Sorry. Uh, Alex, who you got? So there's four guys that I'm looking at in free agency that I think would be reasonable, low-cost ads. Some of them are going to be more expensive than others. Uh, I'll start with the dude that I think I would like the most, and that will probably be the most expensive of these guys, which is Aaron Holiday, a player who has kind of kicked around the league for a little bit as a backup point guard. Um, one thing that I really like about Aaron Holiday is that he's kind of a heat check guy. He can get hot in a minute if you lose track of him but he's not a horrible defender either um i think that he could be a kind of high volume player that they could see uh getting minutes next to Derek white that would be a kind of upgrade on the peyton pritchard spot at least from the defensive end a little bit so aaron holiday i i do think aaron holiday is also potentially in line to make himself more money than the celtics could reasonably pay but uh if he's available for cheap then I would be interested in that. Bryn Forbes is another one with some playoff experience. Uh, I know that Bryn Forbes can hit an open three, and that's the main reason that I think he would be a good fit on this roster. He also, again, you know, he's a little bit more limited defensively, but he can he can handle himself at least for a few minutes out there. So uh, yes. those, yeah, um, those are two guys I'm looking at. Uh, one guy that really impressed me this year and that I'm frankly surprised uh, Brooklyn did not play him more in the series that we played against them, Javon Carter, who I have long liked as a third uh, option kind of point guard. Um, Javon Carter can run an offense uh, and most importantly is a deeply annoying defender that uh, I would like to see share the court with the likes of Marcus Smart and Derek White. Uh, I think that would fit well with the Celtics identity. And then I do think that the backup big man spot needs to be addressed. Um, Daniel Tice, again, has some shortcomings that might be worth looking into. A guy I've been keeping my eye on who has quietly been, I think, a little better than people expect is Georgie Deng, who uh, is on Atlanta right now. The Atlanta front court is a little bit crowded, especially given that Onyeka Okongwu is likely going to need more minutes uh, going forward. So if Deng shakes loose, which I imagine he will as an unrestricted free agent, um, that could be a cheap option that the Celtics could bring in to just mop up some minutes at the five. All right. Tremendous. Justin, you have 
someone on your list that I'm very excited about. So why don't you go next? Well, I'm not sure it's DeLon Wright. Maybe it is DeLon Wright, but uh, he is the more realistic uh, in terms of fit. I think he's a good defender. He can move the ball. He's got size, good, decent shot. I think he, he checks all the boxes of what the Celtics would want. Uh, I don't know how much playoff experience he has, but he's been in the league long enough by now that I don't particularly expect him to get overly rattled in the postseason. So I think he is playable. So that would be my ideal option uh, in terms of, the other player who I, I guess is the guy who has you excited. I want to be excited too, but the problem is, <laughs> is if he's mobile enough uh, after, after his ACL tear to really look like he's going to make a full recovery, he's probably not coming to Boston unless he's really excited about the, the opportunity to win a title there because he will definitely make more money than we can offer him uh, with a, with a mini MLE $6.4 million. He'll probably get closer to 10, 12, 14 million. Uh, He's making like, I think like 15 million or so on his last contract, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But he also is not a small guard and he is exactly what the Celtics need in terms of leadership and in terms of being just an ideal ball handler and ball mover. So, I mean, if there's anyone in good health, not even ideal health, not even excellent health, just like, 60% 60% even of what he was, I think it would be a very good sign. I don't think you ever said his name. Ricky Rubio. I am Ricky Rubio. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it probably wouldn't be the, first of all, it wouldn't be the right thing for him. It probably also wouldn't be the right thing for the Celtics because of defense, but I love Ricky Rubio. He could defend when he wants to. Well, he could defend when he wanted to, I should say. Yeah. Okay. I have big men on my list. And part of it is, say they get the, the MLE, that is also a useful bit of cap to trade should you need to. And big men are more expendable sometimes. So this is a really cold frame, but I like the following guys at this price, but I also like maybe even overpaying them because in January, February, you might need to stack salaries and you can replace these guys easily enough Maybe. So JaVale McGee, I can't believe I'm saying this, but would be a nice veteran presence uh, after so good. I know. I mean, I just, he might be too good. He might actually make more than this because of how well he has done the last season. Yeah. I mean, we spent 10 years of him being literally a walking meme and now, yeah, he might be a a hot commodity, but a a very useful veteran, big man. Also like sort of a walking meme, but, uh, (laughs) <laughs> kind of by design is Robin Lopez. We've talked about Robin Lopez adding him. I think maybe he'll just never leave Orlando because he seems to love it so much down there, but Robin Lopez would be a good get. And then also a name, I think we've said before, Mike Muscala, big man who can step out and shoot. Again, I have no idea what the Thunder are doing anymore. If they're even still part of the league. So, which as an aside, the NBA should not expand because we don't need three more <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunders. Disagree, but that's another topic. So. Yeah. And then I am willing to consider spending this the MLE on a ball handler. I struggled. This is kind of the, the problem with, oh, we should replace Marcus Smart. Uh, the Celtics should replace Marcus Smart. Is with who? And so I struggled to really think through a, a player that you could bring in that could be a quality backup guard. And I landed on Lou Williams because it's amazing, but the defense would be yeah. spectacularly bad. So 
Lemon pepper, lemon, lemon pepper Lou. Welcome to the Celtics. Jeez. Okay, we gotta get out of here. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about the draft tomorrow. So we'll talk about stashes tomorrow. But we will get out of here. Juhan, um, let's go. Only yum, <laughs> yum guy. Okay, we'll get out of here with what could end up. We could talk about this for an hour. We really could, and we will. More okay. A. Let's start with this. Where is Kyrie Irving playing in October? And B. Depending on what our answers are, could the Celtics get in on a possible sign and trade? Because all signs point to Kyrie. Why wouldn't he opting into his nearly $40 million player option and then possibly being traded by Brooklyn? So anyone who doesn't know this, uh, Shams Charania, friend of the podcast, I think, said today that New York and Los Angeles, uh, the Lakers, not the Clippers, were in the report. Oh, uh, Oh, the Clippers too. Yep. Uh, could be interested in Mr. Kyrie Irving. So I'll I'll let you shout out whichever team you think Kyrie Irving should should be playing for in October, and we'll go from there. Doctor Quinn, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay, cool. I'm not going to pick one of the teams <laughs> in the reports either. Why? Uh, well, just because uh, a former Brooklyn Net uh, who is now on that team would be a ready-made option, isn't that bad of a player, would fit what they're trying to do on both sides, and would be a clear upgrade for both sides, as weird as that sounds. You know, um, having a, a an available point guard, starting level point guard who's made the all-star team, I think is a lot better than a guy who won't get vaccinated. We don't need to get into that, but, uh, you know, availability, it's kind of important. So if you're willing to take on the most toxic man in the NBA at the risk of your lone superstar getting disgruntled and demanding a trade in Minnesota, I see you and I raise you the New Orleans Pelicans because I think that the Pelicans should go and get Kyrie Irving because whether it's, Kyrie and CJ and Ingram and Zion or three of those four. That's a pretty damn good team Definitely on paper, fun. on paper. And there's a lot of kooky shit in New Orleans that Kyrie could, could uh, become involved in and oh, maybe he would be excited. So I would love to see him join the Pelicans. Alex, where do you think Kyrie should play? I have two options. The first option is the one that would actually make the most sense if Kyrie Irving wants to be like contributing to a title run. And that's the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, I just feel like Ty Lue is the one coach that has really broken through and gotten to Kyrie in a meaningful way. Um, And Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, that's a clear hierarchy. Kyrie is very obviously the third best guy on that team. His job will be to come in, score a lot of points, do exactly what he's best at doing, and not much more than that. Kawhi, Paul George, everyone else can handle the defense. So if Kyrie wants to win, that is where he should go, to the Clippers. The most fun option for Kyrie Irving is, of course, the New York Knicks. Uh, (laughs) Just as the solo star staying in New York, just moving, you know, down the block a little bit and then uh, getting to be in Madison Square Garden, putting up 60 points in blowout losses every night, the full Kyrie Irving experience. It's far and away the best outcome. Knicks, it's time. Go get your boy. I was going to say when you said if Kyrie wants to be on a finals team and I was going to cut you off, Kyrie Irving will never win another NBA championship. He's a a net negative for a a title contender. Anyways, if he is traded 
perhaps the Celtics get involved and that's where we will end. Um, let's talk about the Clippers. So say he's traded to the Clippers. That is an expensive team. They would need to shake some things loose, least of which they need to trade something to the Nets. Um, anyone on the Clippers side of the LA equation that the Celtics should maybe sneak in there? Alex? There, there is certainly a guy and his name is Reggie Jackson, baby. I would love to bring Reggie Jackson in on this team. He would provide a little bit of downhill movement another guard that can take the ball out of uh, Marcus Martin, Derek White's hands when they need a little bit more offense and can still be a switchable defensive player. Reggie Jackson would be an awesome fit for the Celtics team. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that at all. I actually have a trio of likely suspects, um, Robert Covington, Luke Kennard, and a familiar face in Marcus Morris Sr. Uh, for me, I am a little uh, skeptical of Canard's health. I am a little skeptical of Mook's fit. I think that at least some of the tension that was happening in the locker room during his tenure was unsurprisingly coming from someone known as a malcontent. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's always great when he's on your, on your team, when you kind of need that enforcer type of personality, but uh, I am a little concerned about chemistry with him being around it being, you know, kind of important to this team. Uh, so for me, I think that leaves Robert Covington. Uh, I think he would be a good option. He can play down to the three and up to the five. Uh, he has been all over the place in his recent career in terms of that. But I think that he could slot in uh, to any of several positions and be successful in Boston. So I think that rather than pretend like uh, Taylor Horton Tucker is the solution to the Celtics problem, I'm going to make a declaration the Celtics should indeed trade for Reggie Jackson, and everyone in the Celtics should wear Rex Specs next season. That solves the fashion issue that I uh, bemoaned at the top. Reggie Jackson's an okay basketball player, too. That doesn't suck. Um, and Kyrie Irving. Uh, just ruining the Clippers is, is fun to watch from afar, because then maybe Kawhi shakes loose, too. But that's a podcast for another day. Anyways, thanks, everyone, for listening. We will, like we have teased <laughs> a little too much, talk about the 53rd pick in the NBA draft next time we meet, which will be coming at you very shortly. Otherwise, like and subscribe if you haven't, and we'll catch you later.